Welcome to this week's Into the Wilderness podcast. Well, it isn't actually this week's. It's earlier than the normal podcast goes out. That's because we... We're bringing you a Christmas bonus. A Christmas bonus. We did it last year. We talked about products and things we've used throughout the year. And it was really popular. It was very popular. A lot of comments, a lot of emails off the back of it, actually. And quite a lot of people bought stuff (laughs) on the list. Yeah, we we sold about three or four watches last year, (laughs) and we weren't on commission. No, not at all. And the thing is, this genuinely is just stuff that we own, stuff that we have, and so we know that it works for us, and we're still using it. And that's why we are telling you what we use, what's good, what's bad about it, so that it gives you an idea. Every single thing on my list, I've purchased myself. Yeah, nothing has been given. I haven't actually gone through my whole list, but I, I don't think I, I think one or two things I probably have been given on this list, but I am still using them because they're good. Yeah. Um, we're going to go two for one because I've got twice as many things on (laughs) my list of paper as Daryl does. So uh, you start off, and then I'll give two, Daryl. Okay. Uh, Well, um, where should I start? I'm going to start with something nice and easy. It's uh, a jet boil. A lot of people probably have heard them. It's a brand name. And that's a big clock dinging in the background. Yeah, it's the grandfather clock. I completely forgot about that, and we should probably close the door. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go and close the door while you're talking about the jet boil. Incidentally, the grandfather clock was made by our grandfather. <laughs> yeah, it was indeed, and brought from South Africa to Scotland. So the jet boil, it is, it's a stove. And if any of you haven't seen it before, it heats water up incredibly fast. It's also a very, very useful uh thing to carry with you because it's extraordinarily light the only downside i would say for traveling around the world is that it uses gas but so far i haven't been to a place that doesn't sell the little gas canisters so it's not the biggest issue on the planet so the one incidentally i just got one for my birthday which i haven't opened yet but i know i've got it is the is the I don't know the damn name of it because I haven't got it yet. Uh, but it's the something light. No, the, the mini, the mini mo. It's called the mini mo, and it boils a liter of water in two minutes. And I'm talking about this because I've actually seen them in action. Two different versions of it. The last time I was in Norway, and the previous time before that. And that's why I wanted to get one because I've seen them. Brilliant pieces of kit. They they just get the job done. Compared yeah. to the the MSR stove, which we also have, it's a lot more fiddly, but the MSR stove, I would say... It's a bit more extreme, It's more it? extreme, so if you are going into those hard-to-reach places, you know, traveling across the world, and you don't have the option of what fuel, then the MSR is going to trump that. Basically, because, I mean, I've had one for more than a decade, and it'll burn almost any liquid yeah. fuel yeah. you can think of, and it doesn't really matter yeah. what quality it is. So you're, Petrol, you'll always diesel, be able paraffin, to get something. Yeah. Uh, but the jet boil, obviously, it has its limitations. But for if you're doing anything around Europe or the United States, Australia, New Zealand, I guarantee you'll be able to get the little canisters. I think the the pack of four cost £20 for the gas canisters. I'm not entirely sure how long they last, but last time Lisa was with us, uh, she had it the whole time she was in Norway and it wasn't even full and she didn't finish it and she used it quite a few times to boil the the real uh, packs. Yeah. So, well, I guess you're probably... I know exactly what's going to happen when you get get it uh, later on today is you're going to want to go and boil some water in a <laughs> yeah. pan just to test yeah. it on yeah. you. Yeah, and make a cup of coffee out of it. <laughs> 
So there you go. I think that's the only that's the only oh, thing I, related I, to cooking. I might actually add. I can go in a little bit further. Is the other cool thing with the jet boiler? It's all kind of a self-contained unit. So the the cup, the gas canister, everything is contained within the cup. So it's not loads of little bits you're carrying around, which the MSR stove is lots of little bits. Yeah, it, 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 yeah it comes in a bag, but the point is it's not that compact. No, as... I mean, I store mine in a pot, yeah. but it's a lot bigger than uh, the little pot that comes as part. It kind of yeah, it it bayonet fits yeah, in, doesn't yeah. it? And the MSR stove also has this insulated sleeve, which means when you're boiling no, water... You mean the... You oh, sorry, <laughs> the jet boil has an, has an insulated sleeve so you can pick up your boiling hot water straight away and yeah, it has a it is good that, isn't it yeah so they really really thought about it uh it retails at around i th- because they've got different versions i think it's between 100 and 150 pounds and they're all sit within that bracket with accessories that you can buy like extenders for the bigger pots, pots bigger and pots and also bigger feet uh depending on what environment you're in so, from cooking to jackets or clothing, because I'm going to do um, two in one because they're from the same manufacturer, is I, well, I've had some Swazi gaiters now for more than a year, about a year and two months. We did talk about them I th- last time. I think they probably did get a mention. At that point, I'd probably only had them about two months. So, I've now had a full full season and I'm back, back to a year ago. And they're fantastic. They are... I. I I talked about them a year ago and t- told you how good they were. They were the best pair of gaiters t- that I had owned, and they still are, which means that they have longevity because I've worn them a lot. They're uh, Kevlar. Well, the material's got a material's got a Kevlar weave in it. Uh, they're very simple, very lightweight, and one of the things I like about them, apart from the lightweight, which is very important, especially when you're walking up mountains, is that they fit really nice and snug, snugly. I hate baggy gaiters and they are 77 pounds i looked up the price just before we started recording the podcast so, so not the cheapest on the market but, but not the most, not expensive, the most either. expensive either they're, um, they kind of sit in mid-range now yeah they do because you can spend a lot of money on a pair of gaiters but yeah i i have no reason to change them the only thing i would say is that if it is very warm you do tend to sweat a little bit underneath them, but I found a way to to get around that, and that's simply they got zips on the side. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just to, uh, take the zip down about halfway, because they they still are held at the top with a pop got, button. Is they, it? No, they've got Velcro. A Velcro, strap. Velcro at the top. The problem is that when it's round your boot, and then it's zipped up, and then you've got the Velcro around, there's no way for the air to flow in there at no. all. So you will sweat a bit because it is waterproof. Put it down halfway, and that just lets the moisture get out and. But that's so, so how I've got around it. There's a way around it then. Um, the second item is the Swazi Tar Jacket. Now, I haven't had this all that long, but I have had a different Swazi jacket for much longer. I, I, now, have, I now have the Tar as well. His, <clears throat> yep, Daryl has exactly the same and jacket. My wife has used it more than I have, even though it's my jacket, because when I got injured, uh, my cast wouldn't fit through the jacket. It's got storm cuffs. Because there's a very good reason that it's got a double cuff system where the... The inner cuff is very... You know what it reminds me like? It reminds me of a dry suit. Um, oh, the, like the inside the, rubber sleeve. Yeah, the inside... Except rub- this isn't rubber. It's like neoprene. No, it's neoprene. But it reminds me of wearing a dry suit. And I've worn dry suits for years. And I used to spend 10, 20 hours in them a day. And even with the dry suit cuffs, they're very comfortable. So it's the same kind of concept of stopping water running back up your sleeve. Mm. And I tell you what... I've learned from experience in the last year, and so has Byron. Water running up your sleeve, 
especially on the hill, is horrible. It's just horrendous. So we, we got these jackets because of failings and kit that we had had, and that was one of the major things, was issues with it, water up your sleeves and down your chest. And I've worn it quite extensively since I've got it, and it has been brilliant so far. So like a year ago, I can't speak for its longevity apart from I know a lot of people who own them and a lot of gamekeepers who speak very highly of them, so they've never had any problems with longevity, but I can't personally speak of it. But from the use that I've, I've put it through so far, yeah, so far, so good. The cool. other great aspect of this kind of design of jacket, which is not unique to Swazi, but they they carry it through a lot of their garments, is how long they make them. Yeah. And it comes down to almost, uh, I'm, I'm fairly short, although I'm, it is a small jacket I have, but it comes down not quite to the back of my knees, but almost, which not only stops the draft sort of running around the lower part of your back, which is just horrendous, especially if it's wet. It also means that you've got something to sit on if you need to take a seat when you're on the hill. Uh, it's just brilliant. It's way, way better. And thank you, Swazi, because now I have to purchase one for my wife. Because <laughs> uh, she's been wearing mine, which is too big for her, because I think I've got a like a large. And so when she's been wearing it, it obviously goes to her knees. Mm-hmm. And she says it's amazing when she's out walking the dog. It's like wearing a, a big cape. Uh, but if she got the smaller one, it'd be absolutely perfect. Yeah. So And it's windproof. Yeah, windproof and waterproof. Very, very ha- happy with it right now. But I've just thin, I wore it in the pool, like very light. Yeah, it not not overly heavy. It's not insulated, so it's not going to yeah. keep you. It's going. It's windproof, as Daryl said, but not having an internal insulation. It's not going to keep you super warm. But personally, I prefer it that way. I'd rather have a lighter. It's uh, a lighter outer shell that I can layer up underneath than have a big, thick, heavy jacket, which I just don't think really works. It works if you're sitting on a quad bike or sitting in a high seat, but for active hunting, it's not really that practical. And I actually wore another um, Swazi jacket called the Tar Ultralight, which is due to come out soon, um, in Nepal, but I don't have it anymore because we gave them to two of the hunting guides <laughs> when we left. And when you see that, it is going to be spectacular because that is a super, super light jacket. The, almost the same cut as the jacket that we're talking about now, but to be used just as a waterproof shell. So for very active hunting in the mountains, I think that's going to be the, it's going to be my go-to when eventually I get another one back again. Yeah. Uh, You're up. Yeah, I'm that's next. two. Okay. So the next thing is boots. Now, boots is the topic of the internet. Always you see every two weeks, what boots have you got on threads, on Facebook? And then the list just goes on and on of people's experiences. Um, often I see a lot of people commenting on Harkila boots leaking. and um, I've right, heard, Anybody can see that. It's all over. Yeah, all yeah over well, that's what I'm saying. That often that comes up in the, the threads. Uh Earlier this year, me and Byron purchased... I know we've got a bit of disagreement on how you say the name of the company, and we will try and confirm, but I'm going to spell it for you so you can Google it. It's it's either Diotto or... What is it, Byron? Diotto. Okay, so it's spelled D-E-D-I-T-O. And we have the the Merlin boots, which go past your, your ankle. Purchased them at the game fair this year. I've used it a fair amount, not as much as a Byron has, and from first impressions so i think it was june june this year we've had them we've had them out on the hills byron had the all the walking up to sixteen thousand feet in nepal they were broken in within one day 
and I would say they weren't even broken. They weren't even, yeah, they just, (laughs) not for me anyway. We did a week uh, stalking stags. The first proper test I did was a week stalking stags and Blair Athel. And the only part of my body that was dry during that week was my feet. Yeah. Because of the failure of jackets that I uh, talked about earlier. So they, and also the price range, £185 for the boots. It's an incredible value. sorry. £165. No, incredible, incredible value. No, I'm looking at the wrong one. Oh, you boot. are looking at the wrong one. 185 So I was correct. So the other boot, which is the the smaller one. so it Dodi, is it? Yeah, so it basically goes up to your... It's just like an ankle. An ankle one. That's the 165 And we have just actually got the wellies as well, but I can't really comment on... They're, yeah. They're comfortable. I really like the zip system on the side and the strap, mm. uh, but I've only had them for—I've only had them for about a month, and out of that month, I've only worn them for two weeks because I haven't been able to walk. I bought mine actually in July out of complete necessity because I was at the game fair down in uh, just north of London. And for anybody who was there, you will know how muddy it was. And I didn't bring appropriate footwear. <laughs> so I had to go and buy the pair of welly boots. So I've had them then, uh, since then. Yep. Uh, very comfortable, neuroprene lined. For me, the big test with wellies is how long are they going to last? Yeah, because that's, that's, that's the thing. It. I kill welly boots, or I think actually just there's a lot of welly boots out there which are just very badly made these days. So we'll try and bring you a review in two years' time <laughs> and tell you how long they've lasted, but so far, so good. Yeah, so far, so good. And they're warm and comfortable, so I'm happy so far. And I've actually just... Uh, uh, my wife's getting a pair for Christmas and our mother's getting a pair for Christmas as well. The same ones. And the reason for that is I have bought... Um, uh, last year, I bought a pair of Hunters uh, for, for, Una. for Una. And they lasted one month. I'm not joking you. One month, they split on the seam in the back and there was a crack where your the bottom of your ankle is, where, you, where your foot presses down. And I contacted um, Hunter and, to be honest, they weren't that interested in it. And then I've also had a pair of the Jules ones, which... So the Hunters were £120. The Jules ones, I think, were £80. So, you know, these are kind of higher range to mid-range boots. So I'm not screaming. And these ones are 65 These ones are £65. The Jules yeah. ones, they lasted a whole three months. <laughs> Bear in mind, this is just walking a dog. <laughs> this isn't anything yeah. extreme. Um, so these ones are 65 so actually less than the, the other two. And I tell you what, <laughs> my longest standing pair of wellies are a pair of Dickies, which I think cost 10 quid and they've been going for about 10 years. Uh, but unfo- they're not that, they're com- They're semi-comfortable. I was going to say. Yeah, they're not that comfortable, but they last. That's the point is mm. they last. So, But uh, yeah, like Daryl said, the, the the boots that we were talking about, which you said, are they called the Merlin, Daryl? The high ones? Yeah, Merlin. Yeah. Um, in Nepal, I don't think I mentioned them in, in the Nepal podcast, but we did, a, if, if you didn't hear that podcast, it was the last one. And you will get a, an idea or it'll certainly paint a picture for you of the terrain that we were in and how how steep the terrain was and how far we were walking. And I had them during that period. And the only issue that I had with them was that it was very hot in the middle of the days and my feet were sweating quite a lot. But everybody's feet were sweating and I don't think it would have mattered what you no, were wearing. So. Your feet would have sweated. But they gave me, I didn't think about them. At all. I didn't think about my feet apart from just drying oh, my feet out at the end I of the I might day. add as well is that we've had a pair of lowers which we hated. I, I 
despised them so much. They they weighed about five kgs on your feet. They weren't as much as that, but that's what, but it, felt that's like. what it felt like. Uh, but they were when you pick up the two pairs of boots, they're double the weight of these yeah. Merlin yeah. ones. So that's a huge thing to think about is the weight and their leather with plastic. Coating. Well, I think it's textured actually. Yeah, it's like it's some sort of texturized. I should really have looked this up, but it's some sort of texturized leather on the outside, so it doesn't require the same treatment that boots normally require, although I do treat them. But the one thing is it do, they don't scratch, so you walk through the heather, there's not a mark on my boots, despite months and months of, of wearing them and abusing them. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I was going to say something about the boots, but I've forgotten now. Um, well, I can, uh, I'll mention two more things just in case it comes back yeah. to you. Uh, sticking with clothing for the first one, <coughs> snow camo. Now, we've just uh, finished our wilderness hunt a couple of weeks back, and it was in the middle of probably the most snow that I've seen in <laughs> probably 10 years here. And I needed to to get out the snow camera, which I haven't had for a very long time. And simply one of my favorite patterns for snow camo, which you can get here and is made in the UK, is the, the snow camo jackets from Fortis Clothing. Uh, I got the, the pants and the... I think it's just, it's just like the smock jacket. It's just a smock. And if you get a size up from what you normally wear, then it means that you can throw it over whatever you're wearing underneath. And yeah, I, I just saw, love the pattern. I remember now because you just said size, the size of the boots. Oh. So f when you're ordering the boots, just to help people out, if you do consider ordering these boots, I am normally, I'm normally a nine or a 10 and they do half sizes. I've got nine and a half and they fit me absolutely perfectly. Uh, Dad got the one size up, didn't he? I think he did. Yeah, he got one size up. Yep. The strange thing was I was like half size down. Oh, okay. I was so maybe, seven, maybe the sizes, was, maybe our sizes don't go by. I then. was seven and a half. So yeah, yeah it's, it's worth checking. They, they go to most of the game fairs. So it's worth actually just going, put them on your feet. You really do need to have the right size boot, but that that's true of any brand. But I mean... I was I, I'm normally a nine. Typically, I always buy a nine. The occasional ten, depending on what it is. Uh, but I got a nine and a half just so I could put some uh, thicker socks. They're absolutely perfect at nine and a half. The service is very good. So yeah. if you get a pair of boots that's not the right size, which in fact, when we bought a pair for our dad, uh, it wasn't the right size for him. We just sent them back and yeah. got another pair, so it wasn't a problem. Uh, the second thing I was going to mention after the snow camo <clears throat> was a Kelly kettle. Now. Uh, I've known about Kelly Kettles for years and always been very intrigued by them and always wanted one myself, but it's the kind of thing you don't really buy for yourself no. because they are, they're they not cheap. And we in a house, you have a kettle, so <laughs> most of the time you don't need to use them. But I bought it for my dad, I think it was Christmas last year, um, and he has used it a lot. And we actually took it on the wilderness hunt a few weeks ago and used it every day, multiple times a day, Hot water for washing, hot water for for coffee. It is just such a it's great really piece of cool. Kit. I used one on the west coast for the first time, and I was kayaking out to some of the islands on the west coast, and it was just a case of some heather in the bottom, a few sticks, on you go. For for those people who don't know what it is, essentially it's like a an aluminium chimney with a thin water jacket in it, and in the bottom you make a small fire. 
And because the the water is held so thinly in this jacket yeah. around it, it boils in no time whatsoever. I mean, if you get it right, you could probably boil the same amount of water at almost the same time as an actual kettle. It's quite incredible how fast it works. And we're just... My dad doesn't know this yet, but he's just about to get a new attachment for it, so he can put a pot on the top. In terms of size, there is different sizes of Kelly kettles, uh, but they're not as transportable as something like the jet boil. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but um, but it's, it's, it's a very cool sort you, of you, traditional yeah, edge no, to it, boil no, I water. have to say, it is cool. And if you have the space to carry it to a camp, then I would say taking a Kelly kettle. Because if you think about it, jet ball takes gas. Kelly kettle takes anything that's around you. Anything that's combustible. <laughs> yeah, anything that's combustible and you can get enough heat into it. Byron got it from a local gun shop in Blair... Blair Gary. Blair Gary. Yep. Um, and I suggest if there is a local gun shop, go and get it from there. But if not... I think you can get them actually probably in most outdoor stores as most well. Most outdoor stores as well. But you've got to support your local shops. Yep, absolutely. Uh, but if you don't have a local shop near you, which we actually don't anywhere near us no, Not all, anymore. Um, not that anyone that would probably supply that. They eBay does actually have the full kit with every attachment. I saw it earlier today. I don't know the size of it, and it was £90 on eBay mm-hmm. for the full shebang. That was with all the attachments. With all and stuff the attachments. Uh, don't ask me if that was a genuine Kelly kettle, but it looked like it. It looked like one. <clears throat> uh, you're up, Daryl. Oh, I'm up. Uh, I'm going to talk about drones uh, mainly because we actually get quite a lot of messages asking about drones uh, because our company does drone work. Uh, we're qualified and have all of our insurance and all that malarkey that you need to do commercial work with. Uh, but most of the time, people contact us about fun fun with fun with drones yeah uh and people ask us what is the type they would buy now the biggest question is budget uh the drones are now in their very similar price brackets your mavic pro your phantom 4 uh and then you start going higher Uh, actually lower spark's lower the spark is lower but i've I've never used the spark so i can't comment on it that is very much a, a toy pleasure thing um, I'm not. The Spark has its limitations because of the size of it. So, in terms of weather that we get in Scotland, I would say the Mavic Pro is probably the go one to go for. I mean, that's the one I've got on my list. So, the Mavic Pro is a, a drone by DJI that you can fold away. Uh, I mean, how, how big? You can basically rest it in the palm of your your hand, like it'll yeah, go the full length yeah. of your hand when it's all folded up. Flight time: 25 minutes. It does all of the the usual stuff that the DJI drones does. Return to home, does uh, lock on points. If anything, it's probably got more features than some of them. Well, it's got exactly the same features as the Phantom 4. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's only because we've moved on now. Yeah, we've moved on now. Uh, and what's really, really cool about it is you can throw it in a backpack. Uh, the controller is very small as well. You can use an iPhone to control it. And I was going to say, yeah, it's got forward obstacle avoidance. Uh, It sits in the price bracket of about £1,200. That's what I was talking about budget, because if you want to go small than that, you've got the Spark, which I think sits around about the £700 mark. But you will not be doing any serious work or any kind of good filmmaking uh, or... With a Spark. With a Spark. It's more for, um, I don't know. It's, I think it's just for fun. It's, it's more, more for fun, yeah. I do have a top tip for using the Mav, and that is that in your settings, have the sharpness set to plus one. Now, for those people who are sort of into filming, you would know that 
on the settings on your camera, whatever you're using to film, you always take the sharpness off because internal sharpening sucks. So you always turn it off or turn it down as far as you can. However, the Mav has this weird bit of software in it that tries to remove noise if the image is a bit dark and its noise correction also sucks. Yeah. So the the way to get around that is if you put the sharpness on plus one, it will never noise correct the image that you're looking at. The issue is when you bring it into the computer, it might look a little bit over sharp. Yeah, it looks weird. But there's, there's ways that you can soften that up slightly. But the problem is that if you, the other way around, if you don't, if you have it on zero or minus whatever, and it is a bit dark or you've got some very dark shadows, the image just looks like mush. It's disgusting. Yeah, it's, it, it took us good. a long time to work there, that out. That, you actually see it on forums a lot saying, help, my image doesn't look good. It's that reason there. So I, hopefully I, I did sum it up. I'm going to sum it up a little bit better than the way I was describing. So you're looking for a drone for Christmas or you want to buy one for fun, the Mavic Pro is probably a really good one to go for in terms of price, flight time. It does do 4K filming. It does uh, 12 megapixel raw imaging. Which, they're pretty good. Which if you have seen some of our pictures from the map, it's pretty amazing. Uh, it's got forward obstacle avoidance. And yeah, that, that that's about it. Uh, quite fast. To, the, the batteries are fairly cheap to buy. I say fairly cheap. They're still over 100 pounds. But comparison to the and it's easy to fly it's very easy to fly fly your next one up is your phantom 4 i think it's the pro that has five-way obstacle avoidance so if you are prone to crashing things i suggest <laughs> you get that one but i think that starts around 1500 1600 pounds batteries are a lot more expensive as well but in terms of the camera the sensor is bigger on it but it can't actually film any better so the quality it's hard it's hard to say the quality is better it's better if you're into filmmaking mm -hmm. uh, because the sensor is bigger on it so lower light will have uh, it'll be slightly better in lower light but if you are thinking about we actually got messed up that if you were thinking about using a drone to see stuff at night or anything like that forget it it's never going to happen the sensors aren't good enough the 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 noise correction so not the noise correction the, the iso which is uh, digital um, what helps you digitally to see in lower light is awful on it and if you are wanting to do serious serious filmmaking then you need to start looking at the Inspire which uh, starts at I think the Inspire 1 Pro is still at £3,000 and that's without a good camera on the bottom of it so I think that's that's drones covered and the one thing I would say is that they will be implementing in the next six months, any, well, about six months, uh, either drone registration or drone safety tests for everyone uh, buying them. So if you are buying a drone, there is a thing called the drone code. You can't just fly anywhere. So follow the drone code. And if you are considering making money from it, go and get a license because... If you're not, you're breaking the law. You are breaking the law. It's <laughs> simple as that. And the bottom line is, is all of these new laws are coming in because people are breaking the law. It's as simple as that. And the thing is, it won't affect us because we have a license. All it will do is all the hobbyists, if you're flying dangerously, stupidly high in populated areas, all it does is the hobbyists will be shut down. Mm. And yeah. all of the illegal operators... That don't have licenses, which, they're doing, plenty of which are, there are plenty of, will be shut down and we'll laugh <laughs> because it has nothing to do with us. So, uh, yeah, but behave on, yourself and behave yourself. Safely. But if you have a drone, they are brilliant fun and you can see stuff you've never seen before on, on areas of ground. And it's just a whole different aspect of life. If you're walking up in the hills, uh, the one thing I would add if you are in the highlands of Scotland 
all you need to do is look up any aviation map. Basically, the Highlands of Scotland across the entire thing is a low-flying zone for military aircraft throughout the entire year. And it's not actually something to be taken lightly because many times, in fact, when I was flying at Blair Athol, I was flying and I just brought the, the drone down and 10 minutes after I had an Apache helicopter and a Hercules go through and they were they were touching the trees so they would have actually been below the drone that's all things you've got to be aware of and when you're flying up in that area you can fly there you just have to not be stupid so from drones to something out of the air and onto the ground i've got two products relating to vehicles the first is a set of tires which i put on my land rover defender three years ago i think it is uh, i've got a set of cooper stt mud trains on there um I mention them just because actually we do get messages from time to time, or I have certainly, about what tires to use because people are either upgrading or just wondering what other off-road tires should use. They have been fantastic in the right terrain uh, where they're intended, out in the hills and the fields. They've never let me down yet. I've always managed to get out. What I would say is that if you've got a lot of road miles, probably not the best tire to use uh, you get a bit of road noise from from brand new but as they wear down the road noise gets worse and i a friend of mine up in loch ness he put a set on his hilux which is much quieter than my land rover and so you were able to notice it more and he said that as it was, was getting down it really started to make a lot of noise and it was just simply road noise from from the wear of the rubber and he wasn't going to be putting them back on. He was going to get a set of general grabbers. So I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I haven't been disappointed with them. They've worked for what I've intended, and I don't use it on the road that much. So for those purposes, perfect. But if you've got to use a lot of, uh, uh, if you're going to be burning a lot of tar, then maybe not the tire for you. If you drive a Land Rover, you're probably not going to hear it anyway. Um, the other thing I got for my Land Rover about a year ago, well, it was actually bought for me, was some seat covers. And they are by far the best fitting seat covers I think I've ever seen. They're made in the UK by a company called Turtle Covers. And they can pretty much customize covers to anything that you want, any any color, pretty much any vehicle. And yeah, they they were very, very simple to fit. No annoying little hooks and bungees. They just work, and uh, I haven't had them slip off any seats in, in in over a year, which is the problem when you buy sort of cheap aftermarket. Oh, those ones. bungee ones, I bloody hate them. Yeah, they're horrible, aren't they? Yeah. So yeah, I I if I need to get covers again for another vehicle, I'm not really going to look past Turtle Covers. So go check them out. Uh, uh well, is it me now? Yeah, it is you. That's okay. two for me. Oh, okay, that's fine. Uh, I'm going to go on to doggy things. Doggy, doggy. Um, as uh, some of you may have heard in earlier podcasts, when Floki was a puppy, he was <coughs> roaming around the room and causing trouble. He's still causing trouble now. Um, eating, but outside. Eating mats and various things like that. Uh, the first one is a dog fleece. This is actually a very recent purchase, and it's it's just it's just a fleece. Uh, I think the the brand name one of them was called Hot Dog. Or hot dogger. Hot, is it a hot hound? Hot hound. It could be hot hound actually. And the other, the then I found that by looking for Equifleece, which actually is the one of the big brands that does these fleeces. And the reason why I got it is he hangs out with a husky all day, and right now it is minus three outside, and he has a very thin coat 
for compared to the the sprockers that we've got and he does get a bit cold hanging out all day um, playing around outside and especially if you take him for a walk and they've got wet the fleece takes all the moisture away from their skin and puts on the outside uh, very good little thing i've seen other people use it with working labradors working dogs so it is very much for your working mm. and non-working dog it's a little bit of a pain in the ass to get them get get it on them i have to say <laughs> but once it's on it fits really really nicely on them and looks like they've got a nice little turtle neck so <laughs> well floki has it on most of the day because like i said he's just playing around and and like around the garden but for the people who work then what they tend to do is they work and then if, if you stop for lunchtime or at the end of the day when yeah. you're driving home they stick them on they're cold and wet by the time they get home they're much drier and at least yeah, they won't lot, be so cold a lot drier uh the next thing is another dog related thing which actually i've had loads of messages about because i often post when floki has disappeared uh from the house or uh got into himself into a little bit of trouble it's attractive gps now this is not a GPS for that you see in in Scandinavia, or I think uh, I think Brent Norbury actually has one on his tracking dog as well. Uh, it's not one of those big ones with the aerial that you can use with a, a handheld GPS. I think Garmin do a, a large amount of them. There'll be a few other brands as well. This is more of a I don't know more home home based one. Um, it, it's a tiny little box. I, I don't even know. It's the size of a matchbox. Like, yeah, matchbox. Yeah. Matchbox size. Fits onto their collar and then you pay a subscription and I pay £6 a month and then that's just unlimited usage. And what it allows me to do is that because he is free around the property and he's still young, when he buggers off, I've got a geofence around the house and I can see exactly where he is in real time. Oh, it notifies you as well. It notifies me as soon as he's left where he's not, where he's allowed to be. Notifies me. I can see where it is, and then all I do is click the live button, and then I get a live feed of exactly where he is, and I can just follow it on my phone. Only downside to this entire thing is that if you do not have phone signal on your phone, you wouldn't be able to follow your dog, but you would still be able to see it on a computer or Wi-Fi because it pings it to its server. So if you were that desperate, you could always have someone else with internet and guide Phone you. them, yeah. Or guide I, well, if you got no, well, it was often you get places with phone signal but no internet. So that's its limitations. Has a three to four day battery life on it, which is pretty good for the size of thing. I've noticed in the cold. Uh, weather we've had it in winter is dropped by a day so i'm getting three days out of it opposed to four days um and yeah i think that's that's about it yeah it's a it's a pretty cool bit of kit and it has it has saved floki from disappearing on it more has, than one yeah. occasion uh, it's even if you're on a, a dog walk so sometimes i just leave it on him and i it means that i can see where he is because often you you do lose your dog sometimes on dog walks it's, they get on a scent and that's it they're gone and it's just on them and I can see where he's been. And what's really cool is you get a heat maps. You can see where he spends most of his time around the house. And you can also see how fast he's running and the distances huh, that I he's doing. That. So you can see how long he's been walking for. There's different versions of this tractive thing. So they've actually got one that's just a pedometer. So you can see the distances that your dog's doing. Uh, there's another one. I'm not entirely sure what the other one does. Uh, but this costs 70 quid. So it's 70 pounds with the 699 subscription i think i've got the medium subscription so i think there's one for four pounds and then there's one that's a higher one but the 699 one does everything you need it to do i was speak i was up cutting wood yesterday uh, at a farm near me and i was speaking to the farmer there and 
they had a he had a problem because when he got his new dog, it was absolutely fine until it met up with the neighbor's dog. And when they were together, all hell would break loose and they would disappear off the hills. And I just found out that the lady who owns the other dog put the... I don't know if it's the same one, Daryl, but they, she put one of these trackers on. So the other day they went missing all the way over onto the other, other side of the hill down to the river. And that's how they found them <laughs> together playing because uh, they had a GPS honestly, on. the peace of mind that you have with your dog... Is is incredible. I don't even worry about it because I know where he is. If someone tries to nick the dog, unless they take the track off really quickly, I know where he is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, knives. Now we could talk talk a lot about knives, but I'm just going to mention one because it's cheap and I use it all the time. I had it out just a couple of weeks ago, and it was the main knife that we were using on the uh, the uh, the wilderness hunt because you're not going to cry too much if you lose it or it gets misplaced. And that is, um, I can't remember exactly what the model's called, but it's a Mora. If you look up Mora, it's there. So they don't, I don't think they do any knives that are particularly expensive. And it's just their standard sort of field knife, plastic sheath, rubber handle, um, plastic ends to it, and a blade that's very easy to sharpen. And yeah, I've had them for years and they are, they just do what they're supposed to do. Um, binocular straps. Yeah, now, that was asked about. Yeah, that was why I added it. Uh, I've had a bikini um, strap from Monarch uh, Country Products for years, and it comes with a European cover that co- goes over the binoculars. There are lots of manufacturers out there that make bikini straps of some sort, but these are the ones that I've had. They're very well made. The actual strapping material is a very thick strapping which, one, it lasts, and, and two, it's comfortable. And it attaches to your binos just by two split rings. So you will not be able to attach these or pretty much any other type of uh, bikini strap to any of the new Swarovskis because of the attachment that they have on the side, which is a proprietary design with a little bayonet fitting. So you have to use Swarovski straps for them, and a lot of people use Swarovski binos, which is why I mentioned that. But most other manufacturers have loops on the side of their binoculars, so you'll be able to attach them to that. And yeah, they've been great. So that would be my first port call, is if you wanted to get a set of uh, bikini straps, which really does aid the comfort of having binos around your neck. Not just for taking the weight off the back of your neck, but just to stop them bouncing around. Because if you don't have a bikini strap, then what I do is I put it like over my shoulder and under my arm instead of just having it over my neck so that it doesn't bounce around on my chest. It also means that when you're crawling into something, if you've got the neoprene uh, cover like yeah, on the... It's dragged through the heather exactly. and goes inside your eyepiece. And then you've got to dig it out with your finger just, yeah. just when you really need to use them. So they are a great piece of kit and uh, the Monarch Country products, um, they're v- re- very well priced and they're actually made here as well. So go and check them out if it's something that you are looking for. Am I on the next thing? You are. Uh, well, I, I'm actually reading through a list uh, just to make sure we had covered everything. Uh, which was on the podcast Into the Wilderness discussion group, which has recently just been opened, uh, which is it's basically an attachment to our normal Facebook page 
for our listeners to get involved. With How do you the get there, Daryl? I don't even know. You just go on our normal Facebook page to the podcast Into the Wilderness and the discussion group is part of it. And I think you just click the discussion or it's on the top of the page. Um, and there's been loads of people commenting and adding to the discussion. It was really good. But I was just going through the products thing because I asked everyone to uh, go through. And the only thing that's on there that we we're kind of not covering is first aid kit. Ah. And rescue beacons. Um, I can comment a little bit on rescue beacons, and you've done. I can you, mention you, first aid kit. Use the first aid uh, kit, but mainly just to say that we will be talking more on that yeah. very soon, right at the start of next year. The issue with taking the right first aid equipment with you um, is so so important, and we realised that when Daryl had his accident, which we that we talked about a few podcasts ago. And we are working with a friend of ours who is basically the man um, to help sort this sort of thing to get first aid kits specifically um, for our kind of activities out in the field hunting. So we're going to keep you posted on that. I'd love to give you more information right now, but I just can't because we haven't worked out the kinks of it. Uh, But early part of next year, you're going to see something with regard to first aid kits and the kind of equipment that you should be taking out in the field. Uh, there's a few night vision questions on here, but that's covered in the show on Thursday, I think, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, so moving on to some other things. I have on here, I'm just trying to think. Oh, Power Bank. Uh, not any particular brand, but I can tell you what to search on Amazon to find the power banks that we've been using. Now, we've used a particular power bank, one of them. We have loads of them now uh, for over a year now. And these are kind of the more extreme ones. So rubberized, they are slightly better in temperature. They've got a solar panel on the top of it. And they've got two output ports. And some of them have got torches on them. Some of them don't. They're also, I say waterproof. I would probably, yeah, maybe if you dropped it in a puddle and all the ports were closed, it would survive. Um, Definitely showerproof. And if I was looking for a power bank, I would look for anything above 20,000 milliamps. And you'll get out of one of the smaller... That, that's a smaller one. You probably get two charges out of an iPad and maybe six charges out of a phone um, out of one of those. What's really cool is, yes, the solar panel is not going to... Don't rely on that. But what's really cool is that you plug it in, charge it in your mains house, and if you are out walking on the hills, even in Scotland it'll work, uh, you put it on the back of your backpack, it'll just slowly keep topping up that power bank. And it does actually work because when Byron was in Nepal, it topped up all of your power banks it was using, in, using yeah. the solar pa- powers. It was incredible. I had, uh, we were using a Sony uh, A7S Mark II mainly, and they they take quite small batteries. I think they're about 1,200 milliamp hours. Um, so you burn through four to five of them in a day if you're doing a lot of filming. And every day I would charge those via the power banks. And the sun top up on the solar panels was almost enough to keep on top of the charging of those four Mm -hmm. or five batteries. But it was incredibly sunny there. The weather was very good and it was warm um, during the middle part of the day. But, I mean, heat's got nothing to do with it, so... No, the only reason I mentioned heat was because it was very, very cold overnight, and anybody who oh, okay. has a kills the well, has any kind of yeah device that takes a battery will know that cold is not extreme cold is not good for batteries. Um, so you do have to weigh up if you're going to be putting it out in the winter, which it still will top up with the sun. If the cold is going to do more damage, damage. to your battery yeah. power yeah. than the sun. No, I get what you're saying now. Uh, so all you have to do on I got we got these off Amazon was just type in extreme 
power banks or waterproof power banks and it'll be the first ones that come up they've got like a rugged looking case on them it's none it's none of them in particular we it was just the ones with the top rating and like i said anything above twenty thousand milliamp hours and you'll be on to a winner of how much you can charge they're not particularly that heavy no they're, they're really not um as a rough guide if you want to work out if you've got say a camera like like we had and i was trying to work out how many times can i charge this little battery if you read on the back of your battery it'll tell you how many milliamp hours it is and your uh, power bank will also tell you how many milliamp hours is the storage. And if you divide one by the other, it'll give you roughly the number of times yeah. you can charge it. Although, of course, there is some loss of energy through heat, heat. transfer. So knock a couple off and you'll get somewhere in the region of the, the number that you can charge if you're trying to work it out before you buy it. But they are, they are good, though. They are really, really good. And uh, the only thing I would say is that if you are charging them like from zero to full, they do take quite a few hours over overnight. Long time. Long time to charge it uh, overnight. Uh, oh, you've got something next, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I've got um, so camera gear actually. So, w as you most of our listeners will know, we do take a lot of pictures and we do a lot of filming because it's part of our business. Uh, and I thought I would just mention two camera lenses that we use a lot. Probably the camera lens that we use more than any other is uh, a Canon 24-105L series, the image-stabilized one. Um, we've just bought a second one because we needed it for another camera secondhand. I can't remember which site it was from. It was from one of the secondhand lenses. It was either Wax or MPB, yeah. I think it is. Uh, you can buy them for five, £600 secondhand. Uh, it goes down to an f-stop of 4, which is your aperture, the depth of field that it lets you get. Uh, if you want to hear more on that, listen to the podcast with Sarah Farnsworth. But but honestly, buy it secondhand. Don't don't buy it. New. Don't buy it new. You're you're wasting money if you do that. You can go, buy one secondhand that is pretty much down. In fact, you would if you weren't told that it was secondhand, it was you would think it was new. It comes in the box. Everything looks the same. And bear in mind, these go through companies that service these lenses and check them out. And you can see when you buy them, the conditions. It goes from excellent, good to, I think, as an average. Some of them have different specs. Some of them yeah. do like a zero to ten. ten. Uh, but if you buy anything from the the good to excellent range, you're going to be onto a winner. And every single time, it'll say has some dust in the lens. We've yeah. never found one with yeah, dust inside say, it. That has yeah some or small amounts of dust, but won't be noticeable. And I've never been able to see the dust. But I think they just do that on the do excellent ones just in case. But that lens, it's incredibly flexible, uh, especially if you're doing some filming. We've taken a lot of pictures with it as well. Um, and it, I we I definitely couldn't live without it. I if, don't know what I would do if we didn't have. If that you lens. want to spend a little bit more cash, we would like the two point eight version. But the, well, there isn't a two point eight version. I thought there was. Yeah, no, and there's a twenty four to seventy two point eight. Oh, that's what it is. But not a yeah. twenty four to one hundred five. Okay, yeah, yeah. So Canon, if you're listening, bring out a two point eight <laughs> version because that would be awesome. Uh, and just very quickly, the other lens which we're increasingly using a lot is the 70 to 200 L series. That's one of the white lenses. Again, secondhand, it, it is a lot of money, but it's not really if you consider how much other things cost. You can get a 70 to 200 L series, the F4 one for about 600, 650 quid. The 2.8, which gives you way more light gathering and much more depth is awesome but it's about three times the weight and twice the size. Uh, so you've got to weigh that up. I haven't used it a lot for filming because of the, the weight aspect of it, um, but Daryl has used it a lot for pictures, and it does take a beautiful I, picture. Yeah, I love it. It's, out of all the lenses, it'll be the one that 
you use on a job 60 to 70% yeah, of the for time pictures just especially incredible. for pictures when you when you don't have the ability which often we don't to be changing lenses all the time that's the one I'll just go with yeah yeah because you'll you'll win uh I've got something which isn't something you can necessarily buy, but it's a service, uh, and it's probably only relevant, actually, if you live somewhere near where we live, which is in Angus or just over into Grampian area, is using a car garage for anything, whether it be a service, MOT, or you need something fixed, it's very rare that you leave there feeling like you've got a good deal. But I've been using the same garage. I do a lot of work on vehicles myself, but every now and then I either don't have time or it's something that it's not worth me learning how to do for the cost that it's going to be to take it to the garage. So there is a pretty much only one garage I trust to do that. And I've never left there feeling ripped off. I've always felt like, yeah, I've actually got a pretty good deal. It wasn't worth doing it myself. Uh, and that is Man Automotive in Lawrence Kirk. Yeah. Well, in fact, I think a lot of people know who they are. Because probably when you, when you look for Land Rover stuff, Man often comes up. <clears throat> they do. A lot of the... Uh, stuff that the franchise garages in Aberdeen can't do, they, they send, send to them. them. Uh, it is a brilliant, a brilliant garage. The guys there are incredibly, incredibly helpful. I've used them for years. They basically only do Land Rover. I did ask because Byron takes his Land Rover all there, and I was there one day. I was like, "Can you're you? going to say he takes it there all the time, weren't you?" No, well, <laughs> you do have three. Yeah. So I would say that fairly regularly between the one and the three, and it's not due to it breaking down. Your Freelander is just worn out parts. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, so when he was there last time, I was like, "Can you do my Mondeo?" And he kind of was like. Uh, it's not really Land Rover, but I'll do it. So they did do it, and they, they had time, and, they, di- and they did a good job. So yeah, so yeah, you just Google it, Man Automotive, and yeah, I wouldn't look past them. I don't really take my vehicles anywhere else if I can avoid it. You're up, Daryl. Oh, you're on the second page already. Yeah, I'm uh, on my uh, last ten. Sorry, I've still got a little bit more in here. Uh, I think I will go to. Uh, well, you can join it. I'll go. I'll cover my first page so I can flick over. Um, trousers. Another big one that people often ask us about always comes up online. Uh, I will say again, we've said this multiple times, the Fortis trousers, we had basically the first version of them. Um, They're now on version 2.0, which is the deer stalking trousers, which I have not been able to wear once because I had was given them as I had my accident. Uh, But I've also, Byron can tell you a little bit more about them in in a second. Um, I've also tried the browning trousers which are made out of do you know what they're called though you know what unfortunately is? i don't and mine have now been cut into two pieces by the ambulance crew i had owned them for a few days but i'd wore them in norway before i got home and on first impressions they are identical to the original fortis clothes apart from they had extra padding on the knee which in fact was the only thing that went wrong with the original fortis ones was the, the after my knees have worn out yeah, your, after three your years. knees wore out because of the amount of crawling you do and the browning ones I don't know the cost of them because I was giving them in Norway I, I love them because I was out in pretty bad weather wet and within an hour of just still walking I was dry again and that's what the material is about so the new version of the Fortis uh, trousers uh, they I believe have uh, the, your bum is now waterproof your, your uh, knees. knees are now waterproof but it's made out of the same material. Yeah, so both the browning ones also made out of all, almost ripstop. all the Fortis stuff's made out of ripstop, and these browning ones Daryl was talking about are made of ripstop, uh, which does tend to dry quite quickly. Yeah. 
um, the, the, the yeah the Fortis stalking trousers which I actually had in Nepal I couldn't wear them in the middle of the day because it was so hot there and I was wearing another type, another set of trousers which I'll tell you about in a minute uh, but I was wearing them in the evening and through the winter months here now that's pretty much all I've been wearing and they've got um, a reinforced bum area essentially and a very very high back yeah. which is brilliant that's one thing that I really hate. And like we were talking about the jackets hanging down earlier. Yeah, you bend over and then your back gets cold <coughs> because your trousers aren't high enough and your jacket's not long yeah, enough. <laughs> exactly. And, but you don't have that issue. They've got a fairly stiff yeah. high back on the new Fortis tra- trousers. Um, and, and reinforced knees. A better buckling system around the waist than our old ones. And at the bottom, uh, around your ankles. The only thing that I would say about them was that maybe the knee area, which has been reinforced, could do with being a little bit smaller. I was going to say, it's a huge area. It's quite a big area. And the only reason for that is that I found that, depending on how high your gaiters are, Ah, you find that it can ruck a little bit underneath your gaiters. The, The browning ones have got the same patch as an area... But it's just Softer, it's just it? double rip stop or triple rip okay, stop. Okay, so it isn't this like thicker material. No, no, it's not waterproof. But I ripped it when I fell down the hole. Um, but then you did rip your knee as well. I did so. rip my knee open as well. So it did a pretty good job. The Browning trousers were good until the ambulance destroyed them. Um, I'll just uh, just because I mentioned it now, I will uh, talk about the the other trousers that I was wearing in Nepal during the day, which, as I said, was was pretty warm, and we were doing a lot of walking up very steep hills so you're sweating a lot and quite absolutely nothing special i bought them specifically for going there which was on the blacks website i think i've basically found what was the cheapest pair it's just of, a zippable at yeah the, the zippable well, i'm wearing a pair right now yeah you are but these are north face ones okay so i was looking for north face ones because you told me that you liked these these are really good i got the, these ones i'm wearing i know you can't see them uh but Barn is a way to describe them, but I put, I paid thirty pounds for these. They were on sale, but they were on sale. But the point is, is that you can get them on sale. Yeah. So I was hoping to find this pair of North Face quick drying lightweight trousers that zip off at the knee, but there weren't any on sale. So I bought the much cheaper version, which is from Peter Storm, which actually do make some pretty good stuff for the money. Uh, they look very very similar, and I wore them for the whole time that I was in Nepal. One pair of trousers. And they were brilliant. No I, issues whatsoever. I wear these North Face ones nearly every single day uh, for general use walking around. Because they're, I hope you wash them from time uh, to time. No, <laughs> almost every day. I have a one, one, one day wash, wash, wash day. Um, I, but because they look fairly smart, so you can walk into town with them. And then you can walk the dogs with them. And then in summer, I just unzip them. And then they're shorts. I, I need to probably buy another one pair but i'm not saying the north face is the way to go it just happened that these were the ones that i bought mm. because they were cheaper. they're all very similar yeah. kind of this your material here feels very similar to the one yeah. my piece of storm it was. is it's quick drying mm. it's I, I was a little worried about how they would wear because it, it's quite a thin, it's a material. Very thin material yeah and my trousers took some serious abuse when i was when i was out there in nepal and yeah there's a little bit of wear on the knees but when i say wear it's faded fractionally in color i wouldn't be confident to put these through the same abuse i did with the fortis no 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 definitely not i wouldn't want to go through thorns no they would they would rip Mm. but but very good if you're not for that no um i'm going to mention uh a bunch of rifles because i get this all the time people because i used to do a lot of rifle rifle reviewing for sporting rifle I get a lot of messages asking either opinions or recommendations for rifles. So I'm going to do a very quick fire. 
when it comes to rim fires, it is very, very hard to look past the CZ range. So any of the rifles from CZ when it comes to rim fires. I have a 17 in rim fire. My dad has a .22. A lot of gamekeepers shoot CZs. They are reasonably priced. They're built very well. They're not particularly refined, although they have got better, but they just work. It's a uh, working man's rifle. It absolutely is. Uh, and the ammo that I run through my 1.7 is the 17-grain Hornady. I've been running that for a very long time, and it just works. Because there was a lot of um, ammo, uh, 1.7 ammo, that there were issues with in years gone by. But I think that has all been solved now. That was basically where the, pr the primer was going off, but the powder wasn't igniting. I haven't had any issues with the last whole uh, bunch of two two lots of 250 that I've had from Hornady. Sounds like problems you'd have during like the, the American Civil War where they had <laughs> black powder. Oh, the flint's going off. I don't know the what the issue was, but it, it was actually incredibly dangerous. And it's, it's worth pointing this out because there might still be some old batches of ammo from it was various manufacturers that the issue was with. It wasn't just one. Is that if you think that your gun goes click and it's that you didn't load around and you have a 1.7... It might not be. And if you're shooting at night and you're lamping, just please double check. Because I had on two occasions I had with Duff Ammo, it went click and it, it was at night. So I had to look with a light to check. And what had happened was the primer had gone off. It had just shoved the actual projectile up the barrel, maybe a centimeter. And if I hadn't checked and loaded another loaded one, I don't again. know what would have happened because then you could be in some serious trouble well, you, if the next you, one goes you off. You end up, well, on a smaller caliber, you might get away with yeah. it. But, you know, if, if the same thing happened with a slightly larger caliber, you could end up with your face being blown off. Exactly. <laughs> so always be careful. Um, full bore rifles. I, I'm going to mention two. It's the two that I own. It's the two that I've ended up with after years and years and years of reviewing a lot of rifles. Um, I have a Schultz & Larsen 65 and I have two Kimber Montanas. Now, the Kimbers you can't currently get in this country. You used to be able to get them. Um, that is what I have, so I thought I'd just share that with you. That is what I enjoy using of all the rifles that I've been shooting over the years. And through both of those, I'm running Hornady Ammo. I've been running the GMXs uh, through the Schultz and Larson, not for very long, but they shoot incredibly well. And through the Kimber, I've been using the 150 grain Superformance, which shoots very well. And the last thing, just because it's kind of tied into the guns, is I thought I'd mention the best underrated cartridge uh, that you could get in a secondhand rifle, and that is the Treble 2, uh, with regard to full ball. The Treble 2 has kind of fallen out of favour. A lot of people shoot the 223 for foxes. The treble 2 used to be used a huge amount for deer. It used to be used a lot in um, competitions as well. And these days, if you go and look on any, pretty much any gun shop shelf, you will see a lot of treble 2s not going anywhere. And they don't cost a lot of money. And yet, it is still a fantastic little cartridge for our smaller deer species. Beautiful, small, soft shooting. It really is sort of the, a gentleman's cartridge for the, the, the smaller deer. And if you are getting into shooting or getting into full bore shooting and you're looking for something which is good value, you will be able to have a massive array of choice when it comes to secondhand rifles if you shoot a treble two. It does mean that you will need a bigger 
um, cartridge if you want to go and shoot the bigger species. But if you're pr primarily shooting row, it makes a great row fox combo. So don't look past it just because it's not popular anymore. So I have, I've only got one, I've got four things left. Uh, I'm going to comment very quickly on some walkie-talkies. Uh, we've been through many walkie-talkies over the years. To be honest, we've never actually paid a huge amount of money for any of the walkie-talkies we've ever owned. Uh, we have a pair of um, Hytera walk, walk, uh, radios, uh, digital ones, but you can't actually use them in this country without a license because... Um, certain power of what I think it's the wattage inside the radio so basically how far they can transmit and how powerful it is is licensed in Scotland and England um, and I'm presumably Wales and Ireland as well should have just said the UK um, so it's licensed here which is a bit of a problem the license costs a bit of money for us it's not practical just to have a license because we're all over the show so I did a bit of research and I found the best that I could find, which was the non-licensed radios, and I ended up with the Motorola T80 radios. And, you know, they function just like any other radio. Uh, they advertise a 10K range on it. We have tested it at, uh, well, when I did a point-to-point -point on Google Maps, it was 6.8 kilometers that I got, and it was crystal clear line of sight, though. That is very important, line of sight. Um, so I reckon it was crystal clear at 6.8 so I reckon you probably could push it out to 10 with maybe a little bit of interference. Uh, we've used them since, and yeah, they, they seem to perform very well. There was four radios, they're waterproof, uh, they've got rechargeable batteries in them. I think they've got a 20-hour or 24-hour lifespan on the batteries. They've just got little charging holders. Byron used them on the, the last wilderness hunt in the snow, and you seem to say they were fairly useful. The batteries were, yeah, weren't an issue at all. Yeah. <clears throat> they were on all day, turned off at night, and I, they were just left yeah. out. So, yeah, they survived the three days despite it being very cold. There was times where we couldn't get people. Uh, I think some of that was not hearing it, not being loud yeah. enough, and a lot of wind. And some of it was we were just deep. We were maybe yeah. both deep it, in valleys. If you're in big hollows, it's it's never going to happen. The, the, those radios, they're, they're just not designed for that kind of uh, use. But as soon as you are out of a big hollow and you've definitely got a little bit of line of sight, you, you will get them. Uh, 140 pounds for four radios. It's pretty good. You've radio, also got the hands-free option as well. I, I did a lot of research and I really don't think you can really get much better than that Not for, for that money. for that that kind of money reloading uh i used to do a lot of reloading i still do a little bit and the only reason i don't do so much anymore is just time although i have just built myself a beautiful new reloading bench uh in my office in my house so hopefully i'm going to be doing more soon once it's all set up and ready uh, but one thing that has really kind of changed the convenience of reloading for me is having the hornady lock and load system there's loads of different parts of the lock and load, but the part that I'm specifically talking about is this like bayonet fitting that is part of the press and is a collar that goes onto your dies. So it means that you can, say, set your full length resizing die with this collar on, and then you simply bayonet it out, put it on your bench, put your bullet seating die in, and then you can interchange them with the settings set completely um, well, exactly as they were previously. Otherwise, you'd have to screw and thread down, and it's just way more convenient. With a simple twist of twist of your wrist, 
you've taken a, a die out and replaced another one. Um, I just found it way better than the system I was using before, and it, it's now all I use. Uh, completely different to reloading. But next on my list is something which probably a lot of people have already, but I wouldn't, I just don't go out without one now if I'm out uh, in the hills either hunting or just out uh, walking and doing stuff in the countryside, and that is a buff. So a very light a neck tube, I suppose, yes. would be the best way to describe well, it if I you don't know what a buff is. The, the thing is, I think the brand is actually buff. The brand is buff, but, but people call but it a buff. All, it's a bit like a, a Hoover, yeah. but you're still using a Dyson. It's, <laughs> it's actually it's actually the brand is Hoover. Yeah, uh, so it's the same it doesn't difference. have to be a buff brand. In fact, I don't think any of mine are a buff brand. Or maybe one that I bought years ago. Uh, but whether it's just around your neck just to keep a bit of draft off your neck or you can put it up around your head just to keep your ears warm, I use them all the time now. And I think if you've never tried one, it you probably won't go out without one. I, I own I own a buff, uh, the branded buff, and I wear it not only hunting, but I also wear it on my motorbike. Oh, of course. And if it really does, if you, even on a summer's day, your neck does sometimes get a bit cold. So I'll have a t-shirt on, my motorbike jacket on, then the buff on, and it's brilliant. Hmm. And well, then I also, I also use it to like if like I don't have anything else, so you can use it as a wiping cloth for your your helmet, I, which I I've used, used in the past. <laughs> I use it sometimes to clean the windscreen when I see yeah, there, because there there's go. no demystic there connected to it. It's, yeah. um, it's a double a double uh, double use. use. Okay, so I have three things left. Yeah, so do I. I'm going to go on, on this one because it's a, a cheap one, a stocking filler. Um, I've now used it for about nine months, and it's just a car phone mount. Uh, it costs $6.99 from Amazon. It's, it's a car phone mount magnetic. I think that's what you need to Google on Amazon. It comes in a two-pack, and all it is is this little disc that fits into any of your... Um, What's I've forgotten the word for it. Oh, uh, your air, your, your air, air vents. Your yeah. air vents. Any of your air vents. Uh, I've got it in my X Trail. It's also in the Mondeo, and they've got completely different types of air vents, and it fits on both. And all you do is you get a a disc that comes with a small magnetic disc, and you put that on the inside of your phone case. If you don't have a phone case, I advise not getting this because you have to actually stick it to the inside of your phone case. Um, otherwise, you'd have to stick it to your phone, and I'd rather not put yeah, a sticky stick thing on. But you should really have a phone you case. You should really have a phone case. And it's so easy compared to a traditional case on your on your phone is you just hold it up, and it just snaps straight onto it, and then you just pull it off again. I actually saw it in a gamekeeper's vehicle in the Land Rover, and that's why I ended up buying it because I thought that's such a cool really easy thing to use for a phone holder and you know the way things are one you shouldn't be holding a phone while you're driving anyway but often you always get phone calls when you're driving and it's just nice to have it on the dashboard near your your radio so you can and your bluetooth and your bluetooth so you can see if someone who's ringing you or depending on how your car works my car has a system anyway but the Mondeo doesn't so it's just a, an easy convenient way to keep your phone kind of nice in your car <coughs> Antiseptic baby wipes. <laughs> I love baby wipes. <laughs> I mentioned this because I've used them a lot recently. and I won't go camping without no, baby wipes. No, exactly. And the two weeks that we were out in, in the mountains in Nepal, I had two little packs of... They're, they're not actually baby wipes. They are antiseptic wipes, but they're the same principle. Same they're thing. wet wipes. Yeah. Um, but having the antiseptic ones, we had... At the end, we had access to a river, which I did get in on the last day. Um, but that was 
uh, sort of out of the top of the mountains back down in the bottom of the valley where we had a little bit of time but apart from that there was no opportunity or time to shower or bathe so the only thing you could do is wipe yourself down essentially with a baby wipe and it is amazing what how good that makes you feel just having that and oh. these days baby wipe shower <laughs> it's it's the way forward yeah. if you can't if you can't do anything else that is the best alternative. Yeah. And I carry them. I have some in my Land Rover. Even just for, you've growled the road here. You've got to get back in and now hold your steering wheel. I, baby I, wipes. I own wipe more baby down. wipes than people that I know have that babies. have babies. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's, it's quite funny because whenever I go to Lidl, I just buy the, the generic ones off, off the shelf. They don't cost very much money. And it comes in a pack of 100. And uh, I'll have like six stacked in the trolley. And uh, and people always give you a look of <laughs> why do you need that many baby wipes? But they're for me. But if you haven't embraced it yet, embrace the baby wipes. Yeah, no, they're very good. Uh, there's loads of people that use them. It's not just us. Loads of people carry baby wipes with them. I was actually speaking to somebody the other day that I don't know how we got on the subject, uh, but he was saying that he he actually lives in I think he lives in Tanzania, and he was saying that some of the PHs were laughing at him because he took baby wipes on the safari. Until they tried it for themselves. Yeah. <laughs> it, you <laughs> then know, they were converted. It's something as simple as uh, cleaning your face with a baby wipe at the end of the day. Mm. You just feel clean. Yeah, makes you feel better. Yeah, it does yourself. make you feel good. Have you got another one? Uh, am I going? You've got two left. I've got two, I've left. Got two left as well, so okay. you go. Okay, uh, a low pro bag. Uh, this is more for angled for the people that like taking pictures uh, or filming. Uh, this was a bag we recently purchased after we, a lot of research. After a lot of research, so we we've put the time in. You don't have to. Uh, we had a and I've put the testing in, and we put the testing in. We had a bag previous to this, which we paid 120 pounds for. I can't even remember the, the name. Caseman. Caseman. It was a Caseman bag. I bought it off eBay, and it was just one of those things that he just. It was a Facebook advert. And I clicked on it. I looked at it. It was 120 pounds. It was actually very, very cheap for a camera, specifically camera designed bag, considering the size of it, because it was a the case mount's a big bag. Mm -hmm. And I had my reservations because it was coming from China. It was going to take three weeks to arrive, and it came. And I'll tell you what, that original bag has done us. It's we, done us proud. It's done us very proud. So anyway, moving on, Nepal. We needed a different bag. We needed one slightly smaller, a little bit more robust, and definitely more waterproof because the other one had lost its waterproofness. And we went with this low pro Whistler. Low pro Whistler bag. It, I think it was the 450 Whistler. It was the big, have, it, yeah, have it was the biggest sizes. one that yeah. they do, and we. I think we paid two hundred and thirty. Yeah, it's about two hundred and thirty pounds for it, and just everything about it is really, really nice. You can tell it's got big, large zips on it, which is always a thing I look for. Um, if as soon as you start, unfortunately, our other bag has small zips on it. As soon as you see that, it's always a concern because small zips tend to break very quickly, including the the tabs. They always fall off it. Um, so it had big, large zips on it. Very comfortable on your back. The back supports are good. Barn wore this all the way up in the mountains of Nepal, so he will be much better to tell you about its functionality than I am. But just on the offset of me seeing it, because I was the one that did the research, it was definitely the market leader in terms of price and functionality and waterproofness as well. Yeah. It's, it, it fits, one of the other reasons we got it is it fits the Sony FS5, which we also have. Yes. Not with a lot of accessories in there, but it does fit the camera. <clears throat> and like Daryl said, I did wear it in Nepal. I carried it well, everywhere there. I had all the gear on my back the entire time we were filming. 
uh, in the poll. And it was, if I remember rightly, when it was weighed for getting on the helicopter, it was 17 kilos. So I had 17 kilos of camera gear plus everything else, uh, like plus a, a jacket and a few extra bits and pieces in there. And had the drone in there probably. Yeah, well. that was in there yeah. too. And I didn't think about it. Yeah. A little bit like the boots I was saying earlier. I never once thought, oh, man, this is hurting my neck or it's hurting mm. my back. And that tells you everything that you need to know. Uh, it never let me down and it fitted everything perfectly and it protected it really well. It's got quite a stiff, um, I want to say frame inside. It's not a solid frame. It's just the way that they've sort of put the foam together and it is pretty stiff. So that if you if it did need to take an impact of any sort, it, it, it does seem to me like it's going to protect yeah. your gear, especially in the, the main back the main compartment. compartment. Yeah. Um, I'm going to mention the three uh, types of chemicals I use for cleaning guns uh, because it's something else that people ask me about lots. Um, it's n I don't just use one. I use uh, all all three of these. Uh, I put bore foam down my rifles first, and that basically gets out all of the copper. I might give it two or three soakings, depending on how much shooting that's been done. I then pull it through with hoppies. Uh, until pretty much clean and then the last thing I do is uh, pull it through with ballastol and then clean pa uh, dry patches until I can't we'll be get giving it away some hobby stuff won't we um, I think in the future in I don't future. think I've got any now but yeah we will have some hobby stuff to give away yeah I think so uh, so you've got one left you I got one so I'll, I'll go with mine now this is actually a present I bought Byron and I've used one before, but I haven't actually used his, but he's used his loads. I'm talking about an adjustable grill. Uh, you see often in, actually, I think it's quite a Scandinavian thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's a tripod. 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 I don't actually know what it's called. It probably does have some Scandinavian oh, name. Honestly, just type in adjustable grill Is online. It? Yeah, just type that in. You'll find it. And it's on a chain, and then you can lower the yeah, height. Yeah, you just ratchet it up. You ratchet the height of the, the grill, and you can either have a bowl, a cooking bowl underneath, yeah. where you put the fire in, or you can just have an open pit fire and the tripod sitting on top. And Byron's cooked loads on it. This uh, I got it for my birthday yes. in June. And I cooked on it probably once a week, every week of the summer. <laughs> uh, if not twice a week. Even if it was just a case of heating up food. Uh, part of it was the novelty of it. and But also, where I live, I've got a nice view outside the garden. So it was nice on an, an evening after work when I'm doing stuff around the garden anyway. I might as well light the fire yeah. and, and cook over the grill. In summer, it's very I, simple, but I great. I cook on the barbecue all the time yeah. in summer. Because why not? Why even, even in winter, you can do it. Why I'm not? I think I'm going to try and... Uh, we've got family up on Christmas Eve, and I'm going to try and crank out the uh, the tripod grill <laughs> yeah. to, to cook up some stuff for lunch. And this is the very last thing, is it, from me? Uh, I'm just double-checking my list. I, well, I'm, I'm done. Okay, last thing for me is magazine subscriptions. Oh, yes. Uh, and I'm going to mention two. One... A magazine which is really i think sort of at the top end of magazines in terms of quality and content in this country in the uk uh, and that is field sports magazine we've got to know the editor a little bit as well in in recent months in fact i was just uh, with him on a ptarmigan shoot only a few weeks ago uh, and they really do have a, a great mindset on the sort of ethos and, and ethics and the way that hunting should move forward and they certainly seem to be taking that on further than a lot of other magazines. So that would make a great subscription and a great buy if you see it on the shelf. 
The other one is Sporting Rifle Magazine if you're a rifle shooter and rifle shooter only. And I mentioned that one because I write in it and I have written in it for more than a decade now. And me too. And yes, Daryl's <laughs> in there too. Uh, so you will see articles from us. I think there's more pictures of me than articles about me in it. Yeah. There's loads of pictures of me over the last few months. Yeah, that's because I take... <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't know why that's been the no, case. But so not, you've obviously no, been no, in the no, better No, but pictures. not just in your articles. Yeah. They they use a picture of me to advertise the subscription of getting <laughs> your right, magazine. That's an old picture. That yeah, picture is. is from two years ago. Yeah, from when we did our Into the Wilderness yeah. film series. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, go and check those two out. Okay, so that is it. Uh, needless to say, oh, we can't forget our own products as well. So that has to go on the list. Yeah, go and grab yourself a t-shirt and a mug, and then it'll be happy days. Uh, shipping is we've only got a few days left i think it's the 14th for mm. europe so if you yeah. live in any of the, the european countries then you have to get it in now i think the united states it's all on the website is the same so i think the united 14th, states is the yeah. 14th unfortunately we've now missed it if you live in australia new zealand any of those other really far away places you will not get it in time for christmas well there'll be no guarantee we'll still send it but there's no guarantee it will get there in time mm-hmm. uh and for the uk it is the 20 the 20th I think. I think officially it's the 21st, Okay. but we're saying the 20th so that we can get the orders out because if we go on the 21st and they take the post at 10 o'clock, we might miss it because yeah. we don't live near a post office. <laughs> no. Uh, we've had a lot of orders so far, yeah. so if you're listening and you've ordered already, thank you very much. Yeah, we're greatly appreciated. And that's it. You're going to be hearing from us in only a few days' time now yep. where we're going to bring you a podcast we recorded at a night vision event over in Perthshire only a few days ago along with a whole bunch of news updates because there's been a lot of things happening and we're going to get you all I right up to I think that will be the wrap-up for Christmas, won't it? Uh, I think it will. Be. Yeah, because it's Christmas is the following yeah. week and then we'll have a podcast in between Christmas and New Year, I think. Yeah. So yeah, the um, next one will be the Christmas. So we'll be able to wish you a Merry Christmas in the next podcast. We will indeed. And we'll do it. we're not giving away anything on this, this one. No, because this is an interim yeah, one. Okay. But there is, uh, we will be announcing the competition winners from last week's podcast. And the, J- the next J-Bolt's podcast. one as well. Yes, and now loads of people have entered that. If you want to win a set of Hornady cufflinks from J-Bolt Designs, go over on to, it's on Instagram and it's also on our Facebook and it's, I think all you have to do, if I remember rightly, is tag a friend below. Yeah, we'll, we'll get that out this Thursday, so it'll be shipped in time for Christmas. Uh, on the next one, we'll also have some more news about uh, charity uh, event. Oh, yes. I, in fact, Baron has a little I, bit of details right now. Um, yeah, I can mention a little bit about this. Uh, in South Africa, that's probably true in quite a lot of places in Africa, but certainly in South Africa, where I go and hunt a lot, uh, with a very good friend of mine, Deer Delanga, in the Eastern Cape, they have been suffering from what is essentially a seven-year drought there. They've had barely any rain, so much so that when I was there a few months back, they've been capturing game on some farms and moving them moving to them. other parts um, of South Africa just so that there's something to eat because they can't physically bring in enough food for them to eat. And where they can, they're supplementing uh, the, the, the wild bushes and food that's there. It really, really is bad. So what um, my friend is doing, along with um, a friend of his who I met uh, when I was over there, is that they want to raffle a safari. Uh, The safari is going to be worth around £2,800. They want to raise £3,000, and it's going to go, most of it's going to go towards drought relief. 
um, as well as some uh, some anti-poaching measures there because they're still having rhino taken there along with um, bushmeat trade. And all the details of that we're going to announce on the podcast on Thursday. It is a fantastic cause. Uh, at the moment, I think the tickets for the raffle tickets for that are going to be £10 a ticket. So it is your chance to win an outstanding safari in the Eastern Cape. And the only thing you would have to do is get your flight there and back. Which you can get for about £450. Yeah, if you book far enough in advance, the flight to Joburg, about £450, £500. So you can, and then you, you can oh, there's one more flight required, though. You've got to get oh, okay. from Joburg to um, Port Elizabeth. Insignificant. Yeah, which is about <laughs> 70 quid. Yeah, 70 quid. Um, um, which isn't a lot of money, really. No, it's not. So when we announce the, the, the raffle tickets, we are... This is kind of a last-minute thing that's just happened because... They need help right now. We are going to be doing things with stuff at home in the UK very, very soon in terms of charity. But this is also a friend of ours that's uh, doing this. And like Byron said, it'll be around £10 a ticket. That'll be confirmed. And we encourage you, you know what, even if you don't want to go on the, the safari... If you just donate the yeah. the money, we're going to give you all. all we'll, the, we'll actually all have the a donation thing where as people, well. people can just donate uh, money, like we did with the chimpanzees. And the really cool thing with this is that when we hopefully raise the money, we can go out there and we can take some pictures and show you. Unlike uh, the chimpanzees, it's in the middle of the Congo. It's really not practical to get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, hopefully we're going to be basically in the place that this is yeah. happening at some point next year and you can see where your money has gone and helped absolutely uh for now that is us you will hear from us in a few days time